welcome to livealittlehigher.com. As we end this, uh, these three weeks, uh, from the 17th of Tammuz to the 9th of Av, uh, we're doing it now. This is the last week of the mourning process of uh, dwelling for the destruction of our two temples and the many calamities that have uh, gone in the lives of many Jews in these dates. Uh, it's, it's important to, to reflect and to think about the meaning of Tisha B'Av, what really means uh, to mourn the destruction of two edifices that we have really, it's very hard to connect to them because it's been thousands of years. Uh, we don't know what we're missing. It's very different, God forbid, when you lose something you, you, you lived with and you know and you loved, than to miss some, to, to lose something that you don't, you never had. So it's, uh, it's one of the questions, why are we still mourning two, two buildings? that we never had any connection to. How can we still mourn for them? How can we still feel sad? How can we still, uh, I don't know, every year for three weeks, we, we the last nine days in which we're right now, we don't eat meat, we don't drink wine, we don't do weddings, we don't listen to music, we don't wash our clothes. Uh, we don't, uh, it's, it's a lot of things that we do that are really put us in a mood of sadness and, and uh, melancholy and uh, yearning for what we never knew we missed. And so what was the Holy Temple? The Holy Temple was a structure it was also known as the Beit HaMikdash, and it was a, a large structure. It was approximately the size of a, a football stadium. Uh, it had a multi-level indoor-outdoor structure that was the nucleus of Judaism. Its most sacred site is stood atop, atop uh, Jerusalem's Mount Moriah, where the Kotel, where uh, we go and we pray today to this wailing wall, it still stands. It's uh, the only, only wall that still stands. And the Jewish people all over the world go to Israel and they go there and they cry and they put their notes. And you see even non-Jewish people go there and they also are stirred. Why do non-Jewish people are also moved by this wall? It's interesting to know. So the first Beit HaMikdash was built by King Solomon, the son of uh, King David in the year 833 before the Common Era. And it was destroyed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in the year 423 before the Common Era. This structure uh, stood for 410 years and it was the nucleus of Judaism, the nucleus of Jewish, Jewish life, everything revolved around it. And the second Beit HaMikdash was completed the year 349 before the Common Era. This was 70 years later, uh, after the destruction of the first one and it was uh, built by Jewish returnees from the Persian exile, led by Ezra and Nehemiah in the year 19, uh, before the Common Era. King Herod uh, completed dramatic renovations to this structure. So uh, we see here that, uh, that the temple has been something that has been important for many, many years. 
And then the Roman Empire came and destroyed in the year 70 of the Common Era. So when the current, this is the current Galut, this is the current exile that we're experiencing right now comes from the second Beit HaMikdash, in which the Jewish people were thrown out into the world and we ended up living in very different places. My family ended up coming to Colombia and people sometimes ask me, how can it be that Jewish people live there? But in reality, it's, it's a, a, a consequence of exile. So very little architectural data about the first Beit HaMikdash has survived. There's not a lot that has survived. But from the second one, there's much more uh, things that have been recorded that were part of this temple. And uh, both consisted, that's for sure, of a, of a tall, majestic, ordnance and geometrical hall. This hall uh, was known as the Eihal, and it was uh, surrounded by sweeping stepped courtyards and, ca and a castle-like stone wall. So it was majestic, it was grandiose, it was awesome. And the almost walls described as a rectangle, rectangle from a bird's eye view, within which were the stepped courtyards and the hall in the upper center. Within its white courtyards were the vast outdoors floor spaces for the thousands of pilgrims that used to come to the temple on the three uh, holidays that are uh, Pesach, Passover, Shavuot, and, uh, and uh, Sukkot. So these were the, the three holidays in which Jewish people would come from wherever they were, they would make the journey, they would do the pilgrimage, and they would come to the temple with their offerings. And there was a mighty altar where thousands of animals and birds were sacrificed. They were brought for offerings and a storage staff facility for the hundreds of Anduri Koanim, uh, the priests and the Levites who assisted the Koanim the, that did, helped them into fulfilling this mitzvah of the sacrifices. The hall housed a small incense altar there was a, a, a shulhan, there was a table in which the showbreads were put uh, throughout the week and they remained warm and, and fresh from Shabbat to Shabbat. And a menorah, which was lit every day by the Kohen, which had uh, seven branches. And the Holy of Holies, which was the Kodesh HaKodashim, which was a small square room at the back of the hall formed by a wall-to-wall -wall cloth partition. And this is the place where the, where the Aron, where the, the Luchot, where the, 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 the tablets and the Torah that Moses wrote were housed. So this Holy of Holies, which was the most holy place in the old the, the Beit HaMikdash, um, was so ethereal that the laws of physics were suspended within its confines. It was entered only by the high priest, who was the holiest person, uh, the most spiritual human being in the world. And he would only enter there only on Yom Kippur, which was the most spiritual day of the year. So the temple's centrality to Jewish existence is reflected in the fact that many of the mitzvot are temple-related. We have 613 mitzvot from which um, many, many of these mitzvot, like 180 mitzvot, are uh, centered into, into only uh, on the times of the temple. So we don't fulfill them today. The, we don't do them today because we don't have a temple. So, so we see here 
what is the significance of this temple? Why was it so important in our lives? And today, when you want a spirituality, you look inside yourself. Like in the days of the temple, when you wanted spirituality, this is where you went, to the temple. And even the other nations would come also and offer in this temple. So Hashem's presence was alive in this place. Like it says that the windows of the, of the Beit HaMikdash were done in a way that the light would come from in the, in the Beit HaMikdash would go out to the world. Like today you build a house, you build your windows in a, in a certain way that the light of the outside will enter your house. So it, you can have light inside. But the windows of the temple were done in a way that they were like this that the light of the street would not come inside of, of the temple, the light inside the temple would go outside into the street. So it was the opposite. So spirituality was contained in this place. When you needed to connect to God, you went to the, to the Beit HaMikdash. Not only a Jew, but every, all the nations would come to this place because this is where they felt God. Today, when you want spirituality, you like, you look inside of yourself. You yourself became the temple. And it's, it, it's interesting, there's a whole uh, class on how the face of a person really is a m microcosm of the temple. Uh, I'm not going to go into it right now, but each part of your face represents a certain part of the temple. So, so we see here that... Um, that once upon a time through a spirituality was sparsely scattered here and there and principally concentrated in one physical structure. When you wanted to get spiritual, you went to that place and the holy temple was the place where God's presence throughout the universe could be physically sensed. So it was a place where you felt God. Like today, it's very hard to feel God. We can reveal God through our actions. We can show God, we can live in a godly way, but to feel God today, it's very hard. So when the people, when the temple stood, God was real to everybody. There was no question about God. There was no, not such thing as a person that didn't believe in God, in, in an atheist. It, it was unheard of because it was a proof. There was a proof that there was a God and this was a place where miracles happened every day. It was a miraculous place. So the temple was a symbol of God, majestic, grand, and awe-inspiring because God is majestic, grand, awe and inspiring and it was a shrine to God and all the things that God means responsibility morality ethics love compassion humility it was a place where one found spirituality the Kwanim silently serving in awe of God beyond words the Levites singing boisterous songs of love for God and the pilgrims fine-tuning their relationship with God the sights and the sounds so this is what we're missing and it's hard for us to understand it. Even if I'm trying to describe this grandiose place for you, it's hard to connect to it in a world like this. So you didn't have to be Jewish to go to the temple. Kings and peasants from every country and culture travel long distance just to be experience it all. The temple was the single most important structure in society. It offering stru structure to society, then it was destroyed. So. The final temple, with the destruction of the, of, the, of the second temple, God changed his mode of interaction with the universe. 
So now God is not in a structure, God is not in a place, it's not in, in, in contained in a place. Now God is wherever you let him in. God went into exile with us. He's in exile with us. He suffers with us. So that question, where is Hashem? You know, Hashem is where you let him in. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. He permeates the world. He's everywhere. But you have to allow him inside of you to be able to connect to God. So with the destruction, God temporarily removed the temple from its geographic location and placed it within us. And instead of traveling to Jerusalem, God wanted us to find him in our inner Jerusalem. So our bodies now are these walking temples and uh, our souls are our windows, our minds are our, our koanim and our animal instincts are our sacrifices. This is what it is. So every time you go against your, your animalistic nature, you're really sacrificing the animal within. And, uh, and then we have our minds are what gives us the, the, the guidance that we need. If you have a good mind that is thinking in the right way, you have a conscience, you have awareness, then this is what uh, allows you to live in a wholesome way. So we cannot offer physical sacrifices today. This is uh, not allowed by Jewish religion. We don't go and sacrifice today. But the, we can pray three times a day. So prayer is the avodah, is the, the sacrifice. Today, when a person stops three times a day, stops for, for, for a, a, an hour a day in the morning and 15 minutes in the afternoon and 10 minutes at night and stops and prays, this is, what a, this is like sacrifices. And, um, and we cannot attend temple services three times a day. Many people don't do it. But we can tap into our souls three times a day. We cannot atone for our shortcomings by sacrificing animals today. But we can sacrifice our inner animals. We can, our, our, our animalistic, our egocentric and instinctive nature. We can sacrifice it. Our, our hormones, our lusts, our desires, our beastly com com compulsions. All these things we can control you know maybe we cannot control having certain things going on in our bodies but we can we we for sure can control our behavior uh, because if you know what's right and what's wrong you'll do what is right so we cannot find god in jerusalem we must find him within us and uh and in, if the times of the temples, temples were principally God reaching down to this world, this was what it is. It was like from God to the, to the world, then the times of our exile is us reaching up to God. This is what we do. This is the purpose of exile. The purpose of exile is that we should find God in everything and that we should elevate the godly sparks in this world. This is exile. I remember many years ago, I asked a, a, a Rebetzin, she was giving a, a lecture on, on Tisha B'Av. And I said to her, like, I told her, Rebetzin, I don't understand so many years of exile. Like, when is this gonna end? Like, there's no, I don't see it. Like human beings, we don't change, we're the same. We, we, we keep doing la shonara, we keep doing this, we keep doing that, people are not getting better. When is God gonna send Mashiach? It's, it's enough. And she said to me, you have it all wrong. 
Margie. If you see a Jew walking in, 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 in the Madison Avenue with a kippah on his head, after more than 2,000 years of destruction of a temple, of not having this place, this place where we could connect to God in such a way, and you still see a Jew keeping, wearing a, a kippah in his head, you still see a woman dressed Sneered modestly. You still see people keeping Shabbat. You still see Jews keeping kosher. You still see Jews keeping the mitzvot. That's a miracle. It doesn't make any sense that after so many years of Holocaust, Inquisitions, Crusades, pogroms, terrorism, anti-Semitism, you name it, we've been through everything. And a Jew still hangs on, he still believes, he's still doing it. That's why Mashiach is gonna come. Because we're still here and we're still fighting and we're still doing. And every day there's more people coming uh, back to the Torah and to the mitzvot. So this is what's gonna bring Mashiach. So this is God's master plan. This is God's master plan. And once I heard a, another lecture from another rabbi and he said, that the day that Mashiach comes, we're gonna miss this world. We're gonna miss the exile. Why? Because what we can do at this moment in time with all this craziness going around us, and like, I, I don't need to explain myself. You know what I'm talking about. Like every day there's something more crazy going on. But if we keep on doing all the good that we can, because from all this craziness, so much good comes out. And the day Mashiach comes, there's not gonna be more craziness. That's gonna end. It's gonna be a time of, 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 of peace, it's gonna be a time of love, it's gonna be a time of well-being, there's not gonna be any sickness, people are not gonna be poor, you're not gonna see the homeless in the street, you're not gonna have sick people, you're not gonna have poor people. So, you don't have to pray more healing for sick people. Like I, I spend an hour a day praying for all these sick people. So it's gonna be done. You're not gonna be, you're, you're not gonna be needed to do that anymore. It's not, it, 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 there's not gonna be sick people anymore. So he says that when Mashiach comes, we're gonna be, we're gonna miss this because the opportunity to do good in the world is now. It's now. This is what this world is. It's a world of opportunity, of kindness, of connection to something that, where is he? and we're connecting anyways, you know? So the, 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 the merit that we have in being able to live in such a holy way, in such a crazy world, really gives us a lot of merit and we're not gonna have that when Mashiach comes. So this is God's master plan. He wants us to, us to earn it. He wants us to, to, to achieve it because we got there, because we did it, and not because it was served in a silver platter like the first two temples in which people really didn't appreciate what they had. So, so we see here that first a sweeping dramatic outdoor concert of public spirituality reaching viscerally and tangibly into the everyday physical reality. This is what God wants. Then he exchanges this for an internal personal private experience forcing us to reach up to find him and bringing the entire creation along with us. 
Together, the two experiences lay the groundwork for the third and final temple, an age that will synthesize both directions of spirituality, an age of where God's presence inside our hearts and minds and in the physical world is internalized to achieve a whole new reality, which is the era of Mashiach. So we have to understand that we need both. We needed a time in which God reached down to us, and now we're in a time in which we're reaching up to God. And, and, and the flow of these two energies synchronize into that energy that needs to be born in order to bring Messiah to the world. So I want to finish off with a beautiful story of Napoleon Bonaparte, that he was once traveling through a small Jewish town uh, in Europe, and he was going through the streets and suddenly he hears uh, that inside of a synagogue there's weeping and crying and he doesn't understand what's going on and so he asked uh, he asked one of his officers what's going on here like someone died that we don't know about and he said uh, let me go inside and see let me go and see what's going on and so they go in and the, the shul, which is a synagogue, had a beautiful chandelier. The, wa the lights are very dim. There's almost no light in there. People are sitting low in, in low chairs and they're crying and they're not wearing leather shoes and they're crying and they're reading from this book. And so the officer tells uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, who was this officer was an enlightened French uh, officer he was uh, Jewish he says to him nothing happened these people are crying because today is Tisha B'Av today is the ninth of Av and he explained to Napoleon Bonaparte that they were crying for the destruction of the two temples and that they do it every year it's nothing strange so the, the Napoleon Bonaparte says okay when were these temples destroyed that they're crying like this. And the officer said to him, well, they were destroyed 2,000 years ago. And so Napoleon Bonaparte said, after hearing this, he exclaimed, a na nation that cries and fasts over for over 2,000 years for their land and temple will surely be rewarded with the temple. So my friends, uh, this week, Tisha B'Av falls on Shabbat the 9th of Av, it falls on Saturday, but since we cannot fast on Saturday because it's a Shabbat, the day is moved to Sunday. So the fast will begin on Saturday before Shabbat ends, and then it, um, it, it, it starts when Shabbat is ending and it continues till uh, Sunday night. Uh, I would suggest that everybody that can fast should fast, really, it's hard to do something for something that we really have no connection. I hope this class gave you a little bit of a glimpse of what we're missing. But the more we fast, the more we, we, we suffer for what we don't have, the faster it will come. It says that, um, that every generation that the temple is not rebuilt is like for that generation the temple was destroyed. So my, 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 from my heart, from my prayers, we should merit the coming of Mashiach soon in our days and uh, be able to see that day in which all darkness will turn into light. Thank you and live a little higher.